You can learn all Scripture in the right order. But if you don't learn Him, you still miss it. It's the person. If I don't come to know the person of Christ, I can have all the theology right, I can have all according to end times right, I can, you know, I can get into teachings and get them right. But if I don't understand the person of Christ, I've really missed it. I've really missed it. It's the person of the gospel that we have to do with. And that's, you know, in Revelation chapter 1, and and Lord knows how long we'll be there, um, but Revelation chapter 1, John turned to see the voice that spake with him. And being turned, he saw in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks one light, a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, feet as burning brass burning in a fire, eyes as a flame of fire, out of his mouth a two-edged sword, his countenance was as the sun, his hair white as wool. That person of Christ that John saw in the church, in all the descriptions John declares, is who we must encounter. From the feet of brass to being clothed with the garment, we're looking at being clothed with the garment down to the foot. And that, even in the simplicity of that, being clothed with the garment down to the foot, speaks of not being found naked. Just the, just the simplicity of what that says on the, on the simple side of that is being clothed upon. And that garment in the church, the garment of Christ in the church, in you. That's what we have encountered. That's what we are to encounter. And it's an ongoing encountering. It's not a one-time event that we get born again and we wait someday for Jesus to come to encounter Him again. It's an ongoing spiritual reality that God has moved us in to for a continual revealing of Christ in you. To know the person of Him. To know Him. That I might know Him. That's the cry in Apostle Paul's heart, that I might know Him. And Paul doesn't just write that to you to know His heart, because that's the heart Paul has for you. For all believers. That was his heart toward the church. That a people would come... To know Him. I, I, I love the song that, that, that was sung this morning. The, the, the part of the lyrics. I will build my life upon Your love. Yes. I, I mean, you, you hear words like that. And maybe they're just words. But, that, but, but I, I'm after Your love. In the foundation of Your love. And then you hear the foundation of His love. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that His only begotten Son would die for all. And that be the foundation of, of, of your life. That Christ Himself would be the very desire of our life, of our breath. You know, of, of, of the oxygen we take in and we let out, that knowing Him will be the desire. Man. I tell you, folks, I, I get beside myself in the presence of the Lord. Because it's so rich. It's so rich to feel the presence of the Lord. And if you're not doing that in these meetings. I mean, the presence of the Lord is so powerful, so rich. You're missing the greatest 
The greatest thing you'll ever know is the presence of the Lord. You'll never know anything like Jesus. I'm telling you, nothing you'll ever find in the earth will be like Him. Nothing. I don't care what you find. Wealth. It can be health. It can be anything. And nothing will compare to the presence of the Lord. That's why David... You know, even and David didn't have the richness of God's glory like we did. And David cried, even even as a psalmist, for God not to take His Holy Spirit from him. Mm-hmm. What we have to do, what we have to do with right now, in the presence of the Lord. Well, well. Amen. Just moving on and back into the Scripture in the garment, clothed with the garment down to the foot. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read out of the King James. The notes I gave you was the American Standard, but I'm going to read out of the King James. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallow. The same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In particular, look closely at verse 5. You as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful. The word in the American Standard Version, the word holy, is, uh, it, it says to be a holy priesthood, but that word means to be holy, sacred. So the writer here says to the church, you are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, meaning sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, or religious ceremonially consecrated. So that's what he called the church. Sacred. Holy. Blameless. That's what he called the church. You are a holy priesthood. To offer, in order, the reason you're a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. I mean, I mean, it's something how the Lord can, can deal with you with a little word like acceptable. And you read over it a thousand times and then the Lord just Brings it to your conscience. Makes you aware of it. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so if, I, if I'm part of a priesthood, 
And Peter says to the church, you are a priesthood. So if I'm part of a priesthood, should I know what kind of priesthood I'm part of? Yes. 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 I should understand that. Yes. That shouldn't just be a word on the page where I'm a priesthood. Okay, good. What does that mean I'm a priesthood? See, see, see that's why the, the Bible is filled with words, <laughs> with ideas, because God is conveying an idea to you in Christ. He has a purpose of you being called a priesthood. Well, we're going to look a lot in the book of Hebrews, and I want this in your mind, a holy priesthood. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. Start at verse 11. Hebrews 7 and verse 11 says, Now, if there was perfection through the Levitical priesthood, for under it have the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be reckoned after the order of Aaron? So here's the order of the priesthood you're after as a member of the body of Christ. You're not after the order of Aaron. So the writer here brings in that if there was perfection in the Levitical priesthood, well, most of, many God's people don't believe they're perfect. They don't. Now, it may be an understanding of the word perfect because we, we, we think of the word perfect as I never do anything wrong. That's how we think of perfect, right? Never mess up. I'm perfect. May not be how God's thinking of perfect. Okay? I may have a bigger picture. So the word perfect means complete. Something that has reached its purpose. Reached its finality. And see, its purpose of you and me is found in the person of Christ. And only in this priesthood, in the ministry of this priesthood, can you bring someone into God's divine purpose. And that divine purpose, that divine completion is in Christ. In Ephesians 1, the Bible says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So before God ever created, if I understand that right, before God ever created man, He chose in Christ. So if I don't come to understand what it means to be in Christ, I'll never know God's purpose. I walk around and think God's purpose was just a breathing, living organism in the earth. But God had a greater purpose toward man from the beginning. When He said, let let us make man, He was looking toward the purpose that was only found in Christ. So it can't be found in the man. You can go back and you can try to find the greatness of the man and you'll, you'll come up empty. People try it all the time. People say, hey, if I could get back to where Adam was. I don't know why. Because <coughs> you've been made complete in Him. And so the ministry of the priesthood is completion. Now if there was perfection through the Levitical priesthood, for under it had the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? 
For the priesthood being changed, can everybody say the priesthood was changed? It was changed. It's not the same. There is made of a necessity a change also of the law. What? If the priesthood changed, then the law. It was necessary that the law also changed. Now this is hard pill for people to swallow. That's why he wrote. He wrote this, so something's going on here. For he whom these things are said belongeth to another tribe, from which no one hath given attendance to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord hath sprung out of Judah, as to which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priests. And what we say is yet more abundantly evident, for if after the likeness of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest, who have been made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For it is witness of him, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is a disannulling of a foregoing commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect, and a bringing thereupon of a better hope through which we draw nigh unto God. So the law made nothing perfect. But a bringing in of a better hope did where we draw now under God. Now this is a hard pill to swallow. Because our mind constantly wants to live under God after the law. And the writer here says the law made nothing perfect. The law, in Romans, the Bible says the law made men aware of sin. You know that? Yes. So the awareness of sin came through the law. Now we could say the awareness of righteousness came through Christ. If we can hear that. The law brought awareness of sin, of being incomplete, of being destitute, of being dead, of everything we want to say of man in his inabilities, in his nothingness. We could, we, if, we, if we had a board here, we could draw on one side and we could write over it the law... And the law itself was holy and just and good. The law came out of the mouth of God. But in man, it could not bring anything to the man because of the weakness of flesh, Paul writes. Because the weakness of man couldn't accomplish it. Yes. And this is what the priesthood of Christ ministers is what He's accomplished. What the weakness of man couldn't accomplish, Christ did accomplish. Amen. See, it's moving from the weakness of man to the greatness of Him. And that's what our salvation has to do with, is the greatness of Him and not the weakness of ourselves. That's it. I mean, that sounds simple, but but honey, if we get a hold of it, that's it. That 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 here, it, the the law is just just continually shows constant inabilities. I have no ability to please God. I find no capability in myself to be righteous. But. I find in Christ 
that I have been made to be righteous. So I'm going to minister to you not out of the law. I'm going to minister to you out of Christ. Which is a whole other priesthood that was not after the order of Aaron. Because in the order of Aaron there was a continual ministry of sins. Continuous. And although people don't say they're preaching after the order of Aaron, in a lot of pulpits this morning, there's sin and condemnation that fills the hearts of believers that they shouldn't even be coming to anymore because they should be being brought out of that into what Christ has brought you into. Amen. But do you move out of that ministry? You won't. Walk in a place of no condemnation. Flip over to Romans 8. I wanted to read on down through here, but I guess we will in a moment. We'll see. But flip over to Romans 8. And keep this in, in your mind that we're speaking of another priesthood and a change of the law in Romans 8 verse 1. And, it, and again, I'm in the American Standard Version. It says, there is therefore now. You say now. Paul wrote now. Now. How many years ago Paul wrote now? 2,000. Close to it. He said now. No. Condemnation. To them that are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. Get a hold of this. There is therefore now no condemnation. Okay, how do I walk in this way? I can't walk in this way after the understanding of the letter. I can only walk in this way after the understanding of the Spirit. I can read this There's no condemnation. But unless I live in this, so what? Right? I read it. There's no condemnation. But how do I live in the place of no condemnation? See, this this is where God wants to bring you into the place where you actually dwell in no condemnation. He wouldn't wouldn't have said that through the Apostle Paul if he didn't want you to experience it. He wouldn't have said that. He would would have just said, the Spirit of God will come upon you and you'll feel good. Which is true. But he says, he says that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life. Remember we said there's a change of the law. Because there's a change of the priesthood, there's also of necessity a change of the law. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death that was in my members. Chapter 7 goes through the law of Moses and also the law of sin and death that was in your members. If you flip back a chapter and how that... that Through the law, there was continuation of coming into condemnation because of what we found in our members. And Apostle Paul's saying, Who shall free me from this body of death? And he goes on and says, But thanks be to God who hath delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. law couldn't accomplish it because of the flesh. God sending His own Son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. His own Son took the judgment of sin and put it to death. Took it out of the way. That the ordinance of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, one part of walking after the flesh, folks, is, is doing awful things. It's one part. But another part of walking after the flesh is continually observing the old covenant law. And trying to find your righteousness in it, in your own works. And not coming to His work. See, it's a struggle that goes on in Christians all the time. There's a continual struggle of trying to be right with God. Well, how do I ever feel right with God? Only through knowing Him. See, He's already made you right with God. But it's knowing Him that has made you righteous that will cause you to feel right. Amen. And you'll feel right. Amen. <laughs> Telling you the truth. You can walk in a place of freedom because you realize, you come to an awareness that God really cast all my sins upon Christ. And if I commit a sin, He is just and faithful to forgive me. So God doesn't bring me back to the old man. I'm never going back to the old man if I've come to the death of the cross. Amen. Amen. That's the thing that, that Christians don't understand. I'm never going back there. The old man has been crucified. And in Christ Jesus, I'm a new creation. Created of God. Amen. That's what I am. And that's what I have to understand. That He has made me new. Amen. And I'm being filled with the newness of His life. Not the oldness of the letter, or the oldness of my flesh, but I'm being filled with the newness of His life. See, salvation is the newness of His life. And that's why there had to be another priesthood, because the old priesthood was continually just bringing you to a remembrance of sin. That you weren't good enough. The old priesthood was going to continually have you looking at God in a veil. That He's veiled away from you, and yeah, He's close to you, but you can't enter into it. You know, I said the children of Israel were, God was, was right there with them. He wasn't far away. Brother Wayne, He was in, inside the veil. But they couldn't enter into His presence. Only the high priest once a year. And not without blood. And that blood was for the heirs of himself and for the people. Amen. But our high priest entered in one time. Not into the type and shadow of it. But into the reality of the very presence of God, it says, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So He appears in God's presence for us. 
I probably never fully comprehended all that's being said there. He appears in God's presence as a continual priest after the power of an endless life to completely save you. Completely. So you can take it as far as you want to probably go with it. How far is completely? It's like Brother Dale Grimm said, I think, last week. How much are you willing to receive? See, that's the issue. How much are you willing to receive of Him? You may limit what He can do. Well, I, I don't believe He'll do this in the flesh. Well, maybe He will. Maybe He'll fully transform our mind here in the earth. That's what He writes in His Word. You have, a, you have the mind of Christ. Did He? Right then. I know Paul wrote it, but was, it, was it Paul just writing of his own will or was God speaking through Paul and says, you have the mind of Christ that He may instruct you. How do I put on that mind? Well, if I'm earthly minded all the time, if I give myself only to the things of the earth, I probably ain't going to walk around in it very well. I watch TV myself, so I'm not going to preach against watching TV, okay? But if I'm glued to that television set, to cop shows, to the news, to whatever. What, what's that, Brother Calvin? Football? If I'm glued to that, listen, then the mind of Christ that's in me may not have much effect. Maybe I'll know it fuller when I pass on from my fleshly temple. But maybe that wasn't God's will that you just know it fuller when you pass home from your earthly temple. Maybe it was God's will that you know it while you're in your earthly temple that you can bring other people into what you know. Maybe that's why He called you a priesthood so that you wouldn't be couch potato Christians but that you could minister after the order of Christ in whatever capacity God chooses you to minister to. Because ministering is not just what I do. Ministering is sharing Him in your life. Because everybody's not called to, to preach. We could try to make everybody a preacher, but, we, but it just doesn't work, does it? For some reason it doesn't. I try to train everybody to preach. And it just won't work. But it doesn't make you less, and it doesn't make me more. It really doesn't. What makes more is Him. And functioning in Him is, is if you learn to function in what God has placed you in, you'll find fullness. Completion, rest, if you just function in what God has placed you in in Christ. But it's all what He's designed in Christ. If you begin to function in the ministry of Christ. See, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the church today. They think preaching is just behind the pulpit. And and there's and there becomes very little of it elsewhere. When what's needed, you know, you know, Apostle Paul wrote that he gave the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints. He gave some evangel some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So the Apostle Paul was expecting these saints to become 
ministry. Same thing Peter's writing. You're a holy nation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation. Same thing Paul's, Paul's writing over in Ephesians. It's worded a little bit different. Maybe Apostle Peter's actually got a little more depth than it maybe than Paul did there. Paul was maybe concentrating more on the ministry side of it for the equipping of the saints to understand what they are, but for the work of ministry. But if the saints never begin to minister, then we we don't come to what he was after. So where do I minister at? First place you minister is at in your own home. That's the first place. Well, sometimes the minister is not even through your mouth. Sometimes it is. It's all of the above. But you begin to be a priest in your home. What's a priest do? He breaks the bread of life. He declares what Jesus has done. Because you're a minister after the order of Christ. You put on the garment of this priesthood. Because the priesthood had a very distinct garment they put on. And we put on the the garment of Christ. And we declare an endless life that is now living in us. So we're not declaring what the law declared. We're declaring an endless life that's now living in us and that we're resurrected in this life and we begin to declare this life in our very homes, to our very family members, to our very friends, to our neighbors, to the person in Walmart, to the person down the street, and we begin to put shoe leather and declare this gospel of truth in the earth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That's what Jesus said. That He would, that we, you make disciples of nations. Well, I ain't making a disciple of nations if I'm keeping my big mouth shut. We like to open our big mouths according to our own will. Getting with you a little bit. But God wants us to open them in praise. And praise isn't just saying praise the Lord. Opening being a praise to God is a praise in the earth. Now singing's part of it. I love the praise and worship service we had, so I'm not discounting it. But that praise and worship service doesn't end here on Sunday morning. It goes into my home. I begin to minister what He had done. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you want to be righteous, your works ain't going to make you righteous anyway, honey. I've dealt in that in my own home. Where family members want to say, well, look what you've done. Well, look what He did. Let's do a little reverse order. You heard of reverse psychology? Let's reverse it a little bit. Let's get into the psychology of the Lord, the mind of the Lord. Let's look at what He's done. Hmm. I want to jump through my skin when I say that. I feel the presence of God so strong in me. I do. I just like my Lord. Feels good, Brother Wayne. Jesus feels really good when He rises up inside of you. And I want to declare what He has done. That's what the priesthood declares. It declares the work of Christ. Well, if I don't understand the work of Christ, I can't be a very effective priest. Can I? No, I can't. I can't affect people well if I don't understand it. So I have to pay attention. I have to learn. I have to be trained. Glory to God. And I'll I'll become desirous of that. Amen. Amen. Flip over to back over to Hebrews eight. Man, I, I Hebrews eight and one. I 
I'm going to read it out of the King James. Like I said on the paper, it's American Standard. That's what I primarily use. But it says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So if I go, right, if I go back and I read from Hebrews 1 through 7, and I get to chapter 8, so everything he said up to there, what we've spoken, if I understand this right, at least from the last little bit, what we've spoken, what he's spoken in Hebrews, he says, this is the sum of it. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven. Aaron never sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesties in heaven. God never raised Aaron up to sit on his throne. God never raised one of the Levites up to sit on his throne. So Jesus didn't come through the Levitical priest, so He couldn't raise it up out of the Levitical priesthood because He was bringing a greater than Aaron that Aaron was only typifying. So He come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Glory to God. And He was raised up to sit in the right hand the authority and the power of the Most High God. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched in not man. So, so do you think it may have significance that you understand the house of God if Jesus is the minister of the true tabernacle? And I don't understand His house. I may have a problem. My because I may be ministering again to the wrong house, but he's a minister. Of, he's a minister of the sanctuary. He's a minister of the house of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched not man for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it's of necessity that this man had somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer according to the law, who serve unto the example. Here's what they serve to the example and shadow of heavenly things. So Jesus was the heavenly thing. As Moses was admonished to God when he was about to make the tabernacle for C. he that thou make all things according to the pattern shown in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. My Lord. What does all that mean? It's established upon better promises. Christ is a son over the house of God that you are. It's a better promise. For the joy set before Him that He might bring many sons unto glory. That's a better promise that He would bring many sons into the divine presence of God. That their sins and iniquities shall I remember no more. What What a ministry He brought forth. And He sat down in the majesty of of, of the heavens with an eternal ministry that this thing's eternal. There's not another ministry coming. Nothing else after Him. Nothing has preeminence over His ministry. God doesn't have to bring in any more ministry because what Jesus did was it. That's why it should be nonsense when somebody says, well, God's going to build another temple in the Middle East and He's going to start offering sacrifices again. That should almost make your blood boil. Why would He ever offer another sacrifice? What could ever compare to what the Lord Jesus has done? Absolutely nothing. Those sacrifices can never lead you into the Holy of Holies, into the divine presence of God. What you feel this morning is what they couldn't enter into. And if they entered into it under the old, they would die because the death of the Lamb had to be done. It had to be complete in order to enter into His divine presence because we enter in there in Him. Not just through Him. We enter there in Him. Because He that is joined to the Lord 
is one spirit. Yes. He's made you His. So that the glory that I had, Father, before the foundation of the world, that they may see my glory. about a high priest. You're talking about ministry. The very divine presence of God, the very divine nature, the very divine substance of God. Glory to God. This is what He's brought us into. I was reading and thinking in the book of Hebrews. I can't tell you how many times I went through it this week. I listened to it on my phone. And, and just things, just you know, the Spirit of the Lord was dealing with me there. And I just kept looking, looking, looking at it. And I looked at one thing. I want to read two more scriptures to you and, and we'll be done this morning. But actually I say that and I look down there and there's a couple other things I want to, but we're, we're running out of time. In... Hebrews 13 says we have, 13 verse 10 says, We have an altar whereof they, whereof they have no right to eat that serve the tabernacle. And this thing just jumped off the page of me. So what he's saying here is that if you're in that old system, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat that serve the tabernacle. In other words, if you you know, I, I saw a lot of what what the the apostle was writing to the Hebrews was talking about coming out of that old system, coming out of that law, and into Christ. And he, and he, he says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the holy place. By the high priest as an offering for sin are burned without the camp. That's why Jesus was crucified outside the camp. And they had to leave that camp of the old. You had to leave the camp of, of Aaron, of the Levitical priesthood, and come outside of that camp. And that's what he means by continuing city. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us therefore go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach, for we have not here an abiding city. He's not saying we don't have an abiding city here on this earth. He's saying in this old covenant we have no abiding city. We go to Jesus outside of the camp. We leave the old system and we come to him and that's where our city's at. Then chapter 12 makes sense that he said you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. There's no contradictions in the book if we understand the book, if we understand the language of the Spirit. There's no contradiction. And see, we, we preach we have no continuous city. Well, you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. So, oh, yes, you do. But you have no continuous city in that old system. Because that old system was done away with. And you don't enter back into it. Because we have a high priest who is set down in the authority of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now, Acts 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from loss and death. What's the law of the Spirit of life? Acts 2. It's the fault. Judge this if it's right or wrong. It shall be in the last days, saith God, I will pour forth of my Spirit. Acts 2.16 Upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yea, and on my servants and on my handmaids... In those days where I pour forth my Spirit, He says He's going to pour it on all flesh, not just the Christian. Get a hold of it. He said, I'm going to pour it on all flesh. 
And I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord come. That great and notable day. And it shall be that when He's poured out His Spirit upon all flesh, it shall be that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. How? Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And inside that law of the Spirit of life is all that Christ did. Amen. You can judge and see if that's true. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord is who's saved. He's able to save you to the uttermost to those that come to God through Him. For what the law couldn't do in that it was weak in your flesh. He did. Yeah. He did. <laughs> Wherefore, that's why Paul couldn't write them. Wherefore, put away malice, envy, because he did it. <clears throat> Because the life that's in you is his life. So through his life in you, you can put away all the filth, all the iniquity, all the stuff of the old man because his life's in you. And you're in a new man. And in that new man, that stuff doesn't exist, doesn't have any power. That's where we're at, folks. We're in Him. He has no iniquity. You ever read that? Jesus has no iniquity? I have. I've read that. Well, I'm in Christ. You know how many times, Brother Wayne, the Bible says you're in Christ? One brother said, I think, you know, I I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I believe one brother said it says you're in Christ, in the Beloved, in Him, in the Son. 200, I think it's 237 times. I believe that was the number he gave. I know it says it a lot. In Him. In the Beloved. Complete in Him. But... Many believers almost believe Jesus is... I got a little bit of Jesus in my heart when I got saved. I'll get more of it later. And instead of getting a revelation of the Christ that's in me, see, that's that's the thing. I'm I'm going to stop the recording. I,